नमस्कार आप सभी को हिंदू इकोसिस्टम की तरफ से मैं आप सभी का स्वागत करता हूं आज के इस इंटरनेशनल कॉन्फ्रेंस डिस्मेंटलिंग ग्लोबल इस्नाविक कम्युनिस्ट जिहाद आज 9/11 है आज के दिन आज से ठीक 20 साल पहले दुनिया ने इस्लामिक जिहाद आतंकवाद का सबसे भयानक और बर्बर मॉडर्न मॉडर्न वर्ल्ड में सबसे भयानक और बर्बर चेहरा देखा था जब अमेरिका के ट्विन टॉवर्स में इस्लामिक आतंकवादियों ने हमला किया और हजारों लोगों को मार डाला ऐसे ही हमले ऐसे ही जिहादी हमले दुनिया लगभग पिछले 1400 सालों से बार बार देख रही है लेकिन 9/11 क्योंकि मॉडर्न वर्ल्ड में हुआ टीवी कैमरों की मौजूदगी में हुआ आज की दुनिया के आज के लोगों की मेमोरी में उसकी इमेजेस उसके वीडियो उसका पेन वो अभी जिंदा है इसीलिए 9/11 के दिन हमने ये सोचा कि जब दुनिया में सबसे ज्यादा आतंकवाद को जिन लोगों ने झेला है हिंदुओं ने भारतीयों ने हम यूएस के इस पेन को समझते हैं अमेरिका के इस दर्द को समझते हैं जो आज से 20 साल पहले अमेरिका की धरती पे हुआ और हम आज यहां पर इकट्ठा हुए हैं उन सभी लोगों को श्रद्धांजलि देने के लिए याद करने के लिए नमन करने के लिए उनके साथ दुनिया के सभी ऐसे लोग जो आतंक से पीड़ित हैं और जो आतंक से लड़ना चाहते हैं जो आतंक के खिलाफ हैं उन सभी लोगों की आवाज में भारत के और भारत वासियों के पूरी दुनिया में बैठे हुए भारत वंशियों की आवाज को मिलाते हुए आज का ये कार्यक्रम हम लोगों ने आयोजित किया है सबसे पहले शुरू करने से पहले इस कार्यक्रम को मैं 30 सेकंड के लिए हम सब लोग आंखें मूंद कर अपने मन में 9/11 में जिन लोगों ने अपने परिवार के लोगों को खोया है अपने अपनों से दूर हुए हैं 9/11 में जिन्हों जिनका दर्द बांटने के लिए हम आज सब इकट्ठा हुए हैं उन परिवारों को नमन करते हुए 30 सेकंड के लिए ईश्वर से भगवान से प्रार्थना करने के लिए मौन रखते हैं और उसके बाद इस कार्यक्रम की शुरुआत करेंगे 30 सेकंड का मौन ओम शांति हिंदू इकोसिस्टम की तरफ से मैं स्वागत करता हूं उन सभी लोगों का जो आज के इस ऐतिहासिक हिस्टोरिकल इवेंट में जुड़ रहे हैं ऐतिहासिक इसलिए कि इस प्रकार का कोई इवेंट इतने बड़े स्केल पे पहले कभी आयोजित नहीं हुआ इस विषय पर जहां पर खुलकर बात की जाए इस्लामिक आतंक की और उसका साथ दे रहे सो कॉल्ड लिबरल्स की कम्युनिस्टों की इनका जो नेक्सेस पूरी दुनिया को आज दर्द की तरफ बर्बादी की तरफ हत्याओं की तरफ लेके जा रहा है इस नेक्सेस के खिलाफ बोलने के लिए जो लोग आज इस मंच पर आए हैं और सुनने के लिए पूरी दुनिया से जो लोग ट्विटर पर फेसबुक पर यूट्यूब पर हिंदू इकोसिस्टम के प्लेटफॉर्म से संगम टॉक्स के प्लेटफॉर्म से और जयपुर डायलॉग के प्लेटफॉर्म से जुड़े हुए हैं उन सभी का मैं आभार व्यक्त करता हूं उन सभी का मैं धन्यवाद देता हूं हमारा ये कार्यक्रम हमारे पास तीन 
पैनल है और इन तीनों पैनलों में पूरी दुनिया के विश्व के जाने माने लोग इन तीनों पैनल्स में आज हमारे साथ हैं हमारा पहला पैनल रिमेम्बरिंग 9 इलेवन डिसमेंटलिंग ग्लोबल इस्लामिक कम्युनिस्ट जिहाद इसमें हमारे साथ आज जुड़ेंगे नीरज अत्री जी रॉबर्ट स्पेंसर जी स्मिता मुखर्जी जी सुखी चहल जी विभूति झा जी इसमें 9-11 का जो दर्द है उसके बारे में चर्चा की जाएगी और ये जो इस्लामिक जिहाद और उसको कवरअप करने के लिए लिबरल्स और कम्युनिस्ट का जो नेक्सस है अमेरिका में आज वो नेक्सस दिखाई दे रहा है भारत में ये नेक्सस पिछले कई सालों से है पूरी दुनिया में ऐसे लोग जो एक तरफ तो शरिया के नाम पे औरतों को पूरी तरह से कवर करने तक को जस्टिफाई करते हैं उनकी पिटाई तक को जस्टिफाई करते हैं उनकी एजुकेशन बंद करने को उनके पॉलिटिकल पार्टिसिपेशन तक को जस्टिफाई करते हैं और दूसरी तरफ दुनिया के सबसे एडवांस्ड सबसे मॉडर्न सबसे साइंटिफिक धर्म में अगर कोई औरत बिंदी भी लगा ले तो उसके भी खिलाफ नेरेटिव बनाने की कोशिश करते हैं इस प्रकार का प्रो जिहादी कम्युनिस्ट लिबरल नेक्सेस इसके बारे में इस पैनल में चर्चा की जाएगी दूसरा पैनल जो आज शाम को भारत के समाज के अनुसार आठ बजे शुरू होगा मॉडरेट इस्लाम रियलिटी और मिथ बहुत सारे लोग जो दुनिया में टेरर को समझते हैं आतंक को समझते हैं इसके पीछे के इतिहास को समझते हैं इसके मूल कारणों को समझते हैं उन सभी लोगों का यह मानना है कि यस डेफिनेटली देर कैन बी मॉडरेट मुस्लिम बट देर इज नो मॉडरेट इस्लाम इसके ऊपर डिबेट इसके ऊपर चर्चा मीनाक्षी शरण जी कोयनाड जी बिल वॉर्मर जी आभास जी संदीप बालकृष्णन जी बहुत ही पावरफुल इंपैक्टफुल पैनल दूसरा पैनल जो आज हमारे साथ जुड़ेगा तीसरा पैनल इस्लामिक जिहाद ग्लोबल फंडिंग नेटवर्क एंड कम्युनिस्ट लेफ्टिस्ट सपोर्ट एडवोकेट मोनिका अरोड़ा जी फ्रांसिस गोयते जी रवि रंजन जी विनय कुमार सिंह जी खालिद उमर जयरोम एंटो ये तीन पैनल टेरर के अलग अलग एंगल्स पे चर्चा करेंगे और एक्सपोज करेंगे उन लोगों को जो आज कहीं किसी बंद कमरे में बैठकर हिंदुत्व को डिसमेंटल के सपने पाल के बैठे हुए हैं वो लोग जिनका अपना कोई वजूद नहीं है जो केवल हिंदुत्व को गाली देकर अपनी पहचान बनाना चाहते हैं वो लोग जिन्होंने पिछले पंद्रह दिनों में शायद हिंदुओं की आतंक के खिलाफ लड़ने वाले बाकी सभी कम्युनिटियों की जो दुनिया में एक साथ इकट्ठे हो रहे हैं उनकी आवाज को समझा होगा मैं उनका थैंक्स कहना चाहता हूं क्योंकि उन्होंने एक ऐसा हमला किया दुनिया के सबसे शांतिपूर्ण लोगों के ऊपर दुनिया में सबसे ज्यादा आतंकी हमला झेले हुए लोगों के ऊपर टेरर के विक्टिम्स के ऊपर कि शायद ये रिस्पॉन्स जो आज पूरी दुनिया में टेरर के खिलाफ जिहाद के खिलाफ इस्लामिक आतंक के खिलाफ और लिबरल्स के खिलाफ एक साथ मिल रहा है ये पॉसिबल नहीं होता अगर इस प्रकार नीचे गिरकर डिसमेंटल हिंदुत्व का हमला साजिश कॉन्स्पिरेसी जहर फैलाने की कोशिश ना की जाती आज पूरी दुनिया जानती है लिबरल्स और कम्युनिस्ट केवल एक मुखौटा है इस्लामिक जिहाद का आज पूरी दुनिया जानती है कि ये सो कॉल्ड लिबरल्स जो हैं ये कवरअप 
प्रोवाइड करते हैं जैसे भारत का एग्जाम्पल है यहाँ आतंकवादियों को मासूम बताने वाले न केवल मीडिया में बैठे हैं बल्कि यूनिवर्सिटीज में भी बैठे हैं इंटेलेक्चुअल डिस्कोर्स को गाइड करने वाले लोग आतंकवादियों की मदद करने के लिए पहुंच जाते हैं कोर्ट खुलवाए जाते हैं रात को बारह बारह बजे और आज यूएसए भी अमेरिका में कैनेडा में नीदरलैंड में ऑस्ट्रेलिया में फ्रांस में जापान में यूके में बिल्कुल सिमिलर एंटी नेशनल एंटी ह्यूमन वो लोग ठेकेदार बन के बैठ गए थे ह्यूमन राइट्स का वो लोग ठेकेदार बन के बैठ गए थे ह्यूमन वैल्यूज का और इसके नाम पे उन्होंने जगह जगह न केवल जेहादियों को माइग्रेंट के रूप में अपनी कंट्रीज में घुसाया और उसकी एक अलग प्रॉब्लम क्रिएट की बल्कि सामने से हो रहे सुसाइड बम्स बम्बर्स तक को उनकी फैमिलीज तक को उनके पीछे के बैकग्राउंड तक को जस्टिफाई करने की कोशिश की बार बार की यूएसए में की जर्मनी में जो अटैक हुए उसमें की फ्रांस में जो अटैक हुए उसमें की और इंडिया में तो पिछले तीस सालों से ये साजिश की जा रही है जब पहली बार मॉडर्न वर्ल्ड में इस्लामिक जिहाद ने भारत के ऊपर हमले शुरू किए थे बमब्लास्ट शुरू किए थे चाहे वो कश्मीरी पंडितों के साथ जो एग्जॉडस हुआ नरसंहार हुआ उसकी बात हो या उसके बाद मुंबई में दिल्ली में जगह जगह होने वाले भयानक बम ब्लास्ट हो उस वक्त जो सन्नाटा था इन ह्यूमन राइट के सो कॉल्ड ठेकेदारों का उसी सन्नाटे की कीमत आज पूरी दुनिया चुका रही है अगर जब भारत में कश्मीरी पंडितों के ऊपर आतंकवादी हमले हुए और उनको अपनी जमीन छोड़ने के ऊपर मजबूर किया गया तब अगर दुनिया चुप ना होती तो मुझे ये कहने में कोई गुरेज नहीं है कि शायद अमेरिका को 9/11 कभी देखना ही नहीं पड़ता लेकिन जब दूसरे के दरवाजे पे इस्लामिक आतंक की जिहादियों की आग लगी तब चुप रहना बाद में उस आग को आपके अपने दरवाजे पर भी लेके आया लेकिन हम उस दर्द को समझते हैं हम उस पेन को समझते हैं पूरी दुनिया में अगर इस्लामिक जिहाद को कोई समझता है उससे लड़ना जानता है और उससे लड़कर जीतना जानता है तो वो केवल भारत है और आज जब सीधे सीधे आतंकवादियों के हाथ में एक देश की सत्ता आ चुकी है आज जब तालिबान में खुलेआम शरिया लागू है तब अगर इस पूरी दुनिया को कोई एक कम्युनिटी कोई एक समाज शांति की तरफ ले जा सकता है भाईचारे की तरफ ले जा सकता है सद्भावना की तरफ ले जा सकता है आतंक से विजय की तरफ ले जा सकता है तो वो केवल और केवल भारत देश है और हिंदू समाज है क्योंकि हमारे पास एक्सपीरियंस है इन आतताइयों से आतंकवादियों से लड़ने का और शांति स्थापित करने का शांति से मिलजुल कर अलग अलग धर्म के लोग समाज के लोग एक राष्ट्र के रूप में कैसे रहते हैं और उसके बावजूद भी जिहादी साजिशों को कुचलते हैं उसका अगर अनुभव किसी देश के पास है पूरे विश्व में तो वो भारत देश के पास है हिंदुओं के पास है और मुझे ऐसा लगता है कि आज के दिन जब हम आतंक के पीड़ितों की बात कर रहे हैं आतंक के कारणों की बात कर रहे हैं आतंक की फंडिंग की बात कर रहे हैं तब यह भी दिन है कि हम ये बात याद रखें कि अंतोगत्वा इस जिहादी लिबरल कम्युनिस्ट नेटवर्क से लड़ने के लिए जब पूरी दुनिया एक होगी तो भारत का अनुभव भारत के मूल्य भारत के सिद्धांत भारत की जो आस्थाएं थी वो ही डाइडिंग लाइट बनेंगी 
उन्हीं के प्रकाश में विश्व आगे बढ़ेगा आत्ताइयों से लड़ना कैसे है और बाकी विश्व में शांति स्थापित कैसे करनी है तो आइए आज के इस कार्यक्रम की शुरुआत करेंगे पहले पैनल के डिस्कशन को शुरू करेंगे बहुत धन्यवाद कपिल मिश्रा जी आपने जो बातें की वो दिल को छू रही हैं और रियलिटी ये है कि आज जब हम नाइन अलेवन को याद कर रहे हैं तो उन गलतियों को याद कर रहे हैं जो वेस्ट ने की और वो गलतियां सिर्फ याद ही नहीं कर रहे वो घूम फिर के आज फिर तालिबानाइजेशन की सूरत में हमारे सामने है यू लगता है कि हम सब बैक टू स्टेयर वन हो चुके यू लगता है कि जिस मॉडर्न विशियस टेररिज्म का आगाज हुआ था वो आज से 20 बरस पहले वो दोबारा से हमारे सर पे थोप दी गई है और आपने दुरुस्त कहा कि इसका सलूशन सिर्फ और सिर्फ सेक्रेट हिंदुत्व के पास है जो इनको चैलेंज कर सकते हैं इस सिविलाइजेशन के पास है मैं अपने आप को हमेशा से कहता हूं कि आई एम हिंदू बॉर्न इन मुस्लिम फेथ मुस्लिम फेथ एक क्लब है जिस क्लब की वजह से आज पूरी दुनिया परेशान है कि ये क्या हो गया लेकिन हम सब ने इसका मुकाबला करना है और कपिल मिश्रा जी आप जिस तरह मैं एक शब्द यूज करूंगा जहाद पे उतरे हैं एक सेक्रेट जहाद है जो इवल जहाद था उसके खिलाफ एक सेक्रेट जहाद में आप उतरे हैं इनका मुकाबला करने के लिए आ, मैं आपके साथ हूं हम सब आपके साथ हैं और हम जीतेंगे ऑन बिहाफ ऑफ हिंदू इको सिस्टम आई वेलकम ऑल यू इन अ फर्स्ट पैनल डिसमेंटलिंग ग्लोबल इस्लामिक कम्युनिस्ट जहाद सो फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल आई वुड लाइक टू रिक्वेस्ट मैडम सुमिता मुखर्जी शी वॉज बॉर्न इन अ probashi bengali family based mostly in rajasthan and uttar pradesh and daughter of a defense officer she went on to study history in university she got though this side track to other fields professionally history has been her abiding love by occupation smita ji is a management professional and a language specialist and mother to two wonderful young adults who share with her the passion for history and the deep love of motherland bharat mata welcome madam smita mukherjee good evening to everyone thank you so much tahir gora sir uh we are speaking on a concern which is on the minds of a significant proportion of world citizens today and has been thankfully in discussion recently in almost all liberal democracies and that is the security and preservation of uh, their political framework national integrity civilizational values and the freedoms of all inhabitants tied with it in the face of the menace of violent islam my word in this today would be a brief take on the example of japan what the world has to learn from the manner in which the javanese state has conducted its affairs with muslims and islam there were recently widely circulated popular claims in the form of emails and graphic messages etc portraying the japanese state 
having cracked down on all forms of Islam as an ideal model for the rest of the world to emulate. The claims in these viral forwards were to the effect that Japan does not grant citizenship to Muslims, that permanent residency is denied to them, and the propagation of Islam is banned in Japan, etc. Which, by the way, are not true. And it is not even possible to be a part of the Committee of Nations bearing such overtly prejudicial outlook in state policy against an entire religious demographic. The claims were categorically refuted as well by Japanese representatives. On the contrary, at a political level, Japan has particularly cordial diplomatic relations with all Islamic nations, including maintaining a representative to the Palestinian National Authority. And this has a bit of a history to it, which I will touch upon shortly. The Prime Minister of Japan has been hosting, in fact, iftars for the Islamic diplomatic course at the Prime Minister's office each year. And in one of those, uh, PM Shinzo Abe had said, and I quote, I have found that a fundamental aspect of the spirit of Islam is harmony with and love for others. I believe therein lie points of commonality with the Japanese spirit, which is founded on coexistence. Now, this is an example of a classic disingenuous diplomatic statement. Disingenuous because the Japanese are, as we shall see, well aware of the nature of Islam and how it is incompatible with their cultural context. The Japanese have been very well acquainted with the Abrahamic framework from their interactions with the Christians over three centuries before they were all but eliminated. And the Japanese had the equity to realize that these two religions were built on the same paradigm. Of course, that is not to discount the vastly different discourses that these two have taken earlier, uh, I believe, I beg your pardon, courses that these two have taken earlier, a clear break from the past in case of the Christian world with the pursuit of rationality and liberalism, enlightened values and scientific progress. And the Islamic world, on the other hand, which has continued to dwell in religious obscurantism and conflict. But we see from the statement of uh, PM Abe that the Japanese state has, in fact, made all the positive noises in its references to Muslims and its dealings with the Islamic world. Of course, part of the reason for this is not hard to imagine. Resource diplomacy is critical to Japan, being low on natural resources and with a fast-paced economy heavily dependent on fuel. The world does have, however, a lot to learn from the way Japan has handled her relations with the Islamic world. Japan stands out today as an example of having successfully kept out Islamic terrorism from its land till now, while some of the most powerful nations have struggled with it and have been plagued by acts of violence carried out by Islamists in the last about five to seven decades. And the reason Japan has been able to do this is not because of active hostility or discriminatory measures against Muslims. Such would in fact be more akin to Islamic states uh, which discriminate against non-Muslims and other ethnicities. The Arabic states, for instance, against non-Arabs or extreme measures of tyrannical totalitarian states like China. Rather, it is a certain rootedness which characterizes the Japanese, the quality of the Japanese people and society and the polity being firmly founded in their traditional way of life and clear-sightedness on what comes at odds with it. 
a lot of the people carry a misconception, particularly in our parts, that the Japanese interaction with the Muslim world has been very meager, a nation kind of insulated from Islam. While this is true for a major part of Japanese history, it is not so since about the last century, two or three decades added to it, in fact. And this interaction was in the form of a collaboration which formed in the period of the build up to the Second World War, and it lay in a certain power equation. The Axis nations, Germany, Italy, and Japan, in juxtaposition with nascent communist powers, primarily Russia and uh, Chinese communists and Western imperialists, or the colonial powers. The Axis powers sought to expand their influence by projecting themselves as the refuge of people disenfranchised and hounded by communism, and as liberators for those suffering under exploitative colonial yoke. Part of the scheme was trying to galvanize pan-Islamism as a force to work in their favor, and therefore attempts to foment anti-colonial and anti-communist dissent among Muslim populations throughout Southeast Asia, Central Asia, Maghreb, which is uh, the North African region, Egypt, Libya, etc., and the Indian subcontinent as well. Japanese imperialists, through various means, cultivated relationships with Muslims living in parts of China occupied by them, Manchukuo, it was known as. They made several overtures aimed at specifically the Muslim population, the Turkic-speaking Uyghurs, Hui Muslims, rebuilding of mosques destroyed during the war, sponsoring Muslim students' studies in Japan, facilitating Hajj travel of prominent Muslims, development works aimed at uplifting the law of Muslims. They also fomented separatism playing on the different origin and identity of Muslim minorities from the Han Chinese, and even attempted to carve out an independent Muslim state in North China, known as Huawei Wu. And the current Chinese government's policy against Uyghur Muslims has to be seen in the background of this history. Japan's first community of Muslims was formed from Crimean Muslims escaping the Bolshevik crackdown and exiled Indian Muslims as well. The first mosque in Tokyo also came up around this time in 1938, meant as a signal from Japan being the benefactors of Islam aimed at Islamic countries with whom they had initiated diplomatic relations and to the wider transnational and global connections which the Japanese endeavored to create and maintain with Muslims living under the shadow of colonial occupation. They had spread their network to Afghanistan, Iran, Siberia, Mongolia, and successively, as the war progressed, they replicated these measures with Muslims in areas of Southeast Asia that came under their control, the Dutch East Indies, Malaya, even parts of Philippines. But most importantly, Japan's engagement with the Islamic world was backed by thorough rigor, involving several manas dedicated to deep study of Islamic scripture and religion, Arabic and the Central Asian languages, and knowledge of the Islamic people. They set up the uh, Greater Japan Islamic League, enlisting academics to produce literature in, on Islamic culture and religion, uh, and framing policy for military and administrative officials for handling of Muslims. And as a result of this, it reflects in Japanese dealing with Muslims. The Japanese pitch of being the protectors of Islam did not extend to supporting Islamic theological framework 
or a theological rule or uh, urging Muslims to call for jihad against the perceived oppressors, uh, which some of the Axis powers did, as a matter of fact. And they also eschewed appeals to anti-Semitism. The Japanese seemed to understand the problems inherent in a non-Muslim power backing Islamism and instead emphasized uh, on their role as liberators of the Muslim populations throughout Asia along the lines of their pan-Asian view as protectors of the Oriental people in general around the globe. So we see Japan's involvement with the Islamic world has, as a matter of fact, been pretty intense. What then has kept them immune from Islamic extremism? The simple answer to this is that the Japanese see themselves as a homogeneous entity. A majority of Japanese live by and uphold the principles of all model uh, liberal democracies. But at the same time, they see the preservation of their cultural context as paramount. Unsurprisingly, this has also come under criticism, typically in liberal academic scholarship, which sees it as antithetic to their wanted ideal of multiculturalism. Political and diplomatic engagement notwithstanding, however, the Japanese people's resistance towards foreigners is well known. Now, this feeling is largely irrespective of religious identity. And in the post-war period, much of the impressions and attitudes of the common Japanese with respect to Islam and Muslims has been shaped by media coverage. Surveys reveal that the Japanese are deeply suspicious of Islam and this intensified post 9-11. Um, this perception also changed after this 2015 incident um, of two Japanese hostages being beheaded by the ISIS. And it has changed for the worst. And this has rubbed off on government policy, Japanese government policy as well. Uh, the small Japanese community of about 600 to 1,000 Muslims uh, grew significantly in the mid-1980s to early 1990s when foreign workers, mostly unmarried young Muslim men and Pakistan, Bangladesh and Iran, were allowed into the country to fill in the labor shortage in Japan's growing manufacturing uh, economy. But uncontrolled illegal immigration and unauthorized labor soon uh, led to successive revisions uh, in the Immigration Control Act and revoking of uh, visa exemption treaties with these countries, putting a cap back on the numbers of Muslims. And many were even forced to return to their native lands. Also, uh, Japan recognizes, despite being signatories to the 1951 uh, convention, uh, the Refugee Convention, uh, that it recognize only, recognizes only refugees who are individually targeted and persecuted, regardless of whether they belong to a persecuted minority. Uh, this uh, background is simply not accepted in their immigration policies. And the Japanese government's responses to criticisms of, uh, uh, on respect of this and their low refugee intake has been marked by a polite but unwavering reticence. But it may be said that this fear of being swamped by refugees is not just with respect to Muslims, but also non-religious groups, for instance, the North Koreans, who are seen as militant, prone to bribes and drug abuse, and as potential threats to Japanese social stability. But all of these points point to a general attitude of the Japanese, as well as the government policy that refuses to compromise its 
homogeneity swayed by idealistic considerations. In most of our parts, in contrast, we have subordinated our judgment and the instinctual defensive responses for keeping up with liberal propositions that has compromised the Indian mainstream, which is the Hindu civilization. The Japanese have been unapologetic in contrast in expressing, expressing dislike for display of in-the-face religious behavior, though in a very nuanced way. They will not, for example, be persuaded to regard kindly Muslim requests for exemptions during Ramzan fasting or allowances for prayer time. Religious gear like hijab or overgrown beards will not be welcome. In most of the liberal societies, whereas these would be unquestioned under the right to pray. In Japan, we also find building resistance against building of mosques. Uh, it has been opposed by many locals in many uh, localities primarily because of an apprehension regarding Muslim behavior as a block, uh, as a community, and as potential cause of community problems. Even building graveyards are met with resistance because the trend among the Japanese, including among Japanese Catholics, is of cremating their dead and then burying. This is what is seen as sensible for them, and they see no reason to accommodate what to them are unreasonable religious choices. And would we say that these fears are unfounded? Is the cautious resistance of the Japanese wrong? Our historic experience has shown how Islam has gained a toehold in previously un-Islamized parts, then settled down, spread, and then beginning with efforts to impose itself, dominate, and finally, obliterate the native, native way of life in many parts of the world. In fact, the wisdom of Will Durant's words, I don't know how, of, how many of you are acquainted uh, with that famous quote. It is often quoted in our parts, but it is actually understood and followed indeed only by the Japanese. The Japanese inflexibility may be criticized that but that is the singular reason that Japan has not seen localities transforming into ghettos of a volatile, hostile minority. And to present the other side of the argument, such rigidity works well in the face of a dogmatic politico-religious ideology, which is what is Islam. There is, after all, no reasonability either in clinging to the Islamic burial mode just on account of an unverifiable belief that Muslims have in an afterlife and expecting a foreign nation's policy that has offered asylum to it to bend on its account. The Japanese government on its part did, uh, in an effort to make the Japanese more receptive towards outsider, introduce a new concept called the Tabunka Kyozei in 2006 to promote multicultural coexistence as it was touted. It was meant to create awareness among the Japanese people about uh, people from different nationalities and ethnicities, and to familiarize uh, newcomers with Japanese society and norms, uh, to build communication channels with local community and livelihood support for them in cooperation with residents from civil society organizations. But whether unintentional or inadvertent, uh, intentional, uh, whether inadvertent or whatever, the idea reinforced the binary of the Japanese was a wee outsider. Uh, the measures taken by under Tabunka Kyosei made the Japanese more accepting of 
clothing choices like hijab and food uh, preferences like halal, since they associated these with foreigners. Mm. But uh, the Japanese contempt for uh, Japanese origin Muslim converts who adopted these persisted as they saw it as a compromise of Japanese-ness. And this is something we in India in particular must learn from. And one of the most controversial matters in regarding Muslims in Japan, which has been the blanket surveillance of Muslims, mosques, uh, their institutions and congregation spots by the police uh, before this was preceding the 2008 uh, Hokkaido Toyaku G8 summit, uh, which the police stated as necessary and inevitable measures for the prevention of international terrorism. The Supreme Court of Japan upheld the rulings of the lower courts, finding, uh, and I quote, no violation of constitutionally guaranteed rights to privacy, equality, and freedom of religion that resulted from the police profiling and surveillance of Muslims at mosques and other Islamic facilities. Okay. So uh, now uh, this, I from many accounts, this is still continuing. So this is the mutable question for our liberal world. Can a community be profiled for their beliefs? And well, why not? when their beliefs are manifestly harmful to a society inhabited by them. Clearly, the Japanese authorities feel no need to reproach themselves on this account over rights uh, when it comes to what serves their interest of the state, uh, state. And this is because they have not, unlike much of our liberal world, allowed the wisdom gained from experience and historical uh, experience to be superseded by a set of values, of left liberal values, which is what is the case with much of our world. And this is uh, what is something which we have to uh, address, that should we allow a violent ideology that runs directly counter to, to an evolving world consciousness uh, to really gain a foothold by the same enabling liberal values which are, have been developed in our political systems. Thank you very much, Smithaji. Uh, your scholarly intake on... Uh, comparison of Japan, or I must say, um, um, the way Japan and Japanese society is handling Islam. So it's a wonderful, wonderful scholarly uh, intake. And uh, I would say a Western world need to learn from Japan, for sure. Moving on, I would request uh, Shiri Atriji, uh, who's a well-known uh, uh, scholar, and uh, Shri Atriji is the president of National Center for Historical Research and Comparative Studies. He has authored the book, Brainwash Republic. His love for the nation inspired him to fight against distortion of history by insert. He is an educationist with his background in physics. I welcome Shri Neeraj Atriji. Uh, thanks, Tahirji. Thanks for that wonderful introduction. Uh, my regards to all the panelists. And since we are discussing, or in fact, we are remembering 9-11, so I was just trying to recollect what I was doing at that point of time. I remember I was calling a friend of mine, and it was a very petty issue, which we were discussing at that time. And he said that, okay, let us stop it and just switch on your TV because there is a war going on. The Middle East has imposed a war on America. 
now that was a little shocking to me that how can somebody be at war with america and that too 20 years ago and i i immediately started remembering the gulf war because americans had gone into gulf and bombed them and done a lot of things so when i switched on the tv and saw those visuals they were really ghastly that how how some people who were motivated were able to trump the entire security apparatus of world's only superpower at that point of time and kill thousands of its citizens now that is a part of history but what i i would like to bring attention to is that my reaction was very lukewarm at that point of time it did not penetrate into my head that i should think what kind of ideology can inspire someone to take thousands of lives thousands of innocent lives and including his or her own life now i was so dumb that i did not stop to ponder upon this which which is the point that i'm trying to make over here that we as a society and when i am saying we i am referring to global middle class educated people because i i have i've started noticing that this is a global phenomenon we as a class have been very systematically dumbed down and we have start stopped using our analytical faculties how did that happen maybe some other panelists will talk about that but i am talking about my own mindset that i did not start thinking about the source of their inspiration and that is exactly what we should have been doing as an individual and as well as a society what has been happening for a pretty long time is that the political class right now i was when i was listening to smita ji she gave a statement of uh, the japanese premier which was all that political correctness that we are so used to from the political leaders you just remove that name and it could have been a statement from any head of the state and this hypocrisy is what uh, surprises me or at least it used to surprise me that how can we be so hypocritical and especially our leaders who have been elected by us they can be so hypocritical that they can just try to whitewash something that is so blatantly in our faces what forces them what encourages them or uh, what prompts them to be so hypocritical in their approach of course we know that they are not no angels the politicians are no angels but uh, as far as the islamic narrative is concerned i can imagine a democracy in which majority of the voters are muslims there if such statements are made it can be understood that the person is trying to get maximum votes from his muslim uh, voters but if it is happening in india where how much maybe 15% 16% are muslim population and still our state leaders are hypocritic and they are claiming that it is a religion of peace in europe tony blair is saying it's a religion of peace barack obama is saying it's a religion of peace this hypocrisy needs to be addressed if we intend to dismantle this jihadist network because network when we talk of network uh 
we think of the infrastructure that is in place over there. But before we dismantle that, I think the network that has been hardwired into our brains needs to be dismantled. What has been done is very systematically, the left has taken over the academia, they've infiltrated, they've penetrated into the education system, whether it is school level system, college level or higher level education. They are, they've penetrated everywhere and they have been acting as an intellectual shield, an intellectual cover of Islamic Jihad. That is why when our kids are coming out of these academic institutions, they are not at all familiar with the civilizational struggle that is going on, which is in fact on the brink of uh, existential crisis for us. That is why I shared my own anecdote that my mindset was so that I did not even stop to ponder how can somebody be so much inspired to take his or her own life? What kind of ideology can it be? It has to be something of a very high order, some very high inspiration has to be behind it. And, but after 10 years, when I started reading the Islamic literature, I was shocked that how can any sane person believe in this and he can wage a jihad on innocent human beings. So now what can be done or what should be done over here? I think uh, this hypocrisy which is surrounding us, whether it is in our, from our political class, whether it is from our education system, whether it is from our pop culture. If we have to, we are serious enough of thinking about dismantling it, then there can be different layers about it. One is about state policies. Forget the Islamic countries. Can we have a state policy and a stated state policy that we will have zero tolerance for terrorism or zero tolerance for terror? Yes, Americans say that they have it. It sounds very masculine also. It sounds very muscular. But the problem is that they shy away from defining what is terrorism. So unless you define it, how can you fight it? How can you say we are, we have a zero tolerance policy for it? That brings us to the second point. If you're not defining terrorism, then how are we going to uh, identify the source of the terrorist's mindset? He is deriving that inspiration from an ideology. If we are not going to address that ideology, that means we are going to fail our objective. So zero tolerance for terrorism should mean we have defined terrorism. We have defined who is a terrorist and then we are supposed to address the source of the terror. And once we can identify the source of this terror, then we can proactively try to defang any future terrorists from taking place. And now how can this be done? I think it should be simple enough. What the leftist and Islamist handshake has done is they have hidden that true face of Islam from us. What a state needs to do is bring the basic tenets of Islam into public domain. Let there be a discussion. It can be done through the education system. It can be done through documentaries. I remember uh, Robert Spencer has created a very good documentary 
we should be having hundreds of such documentaries addressing or explicitly stating the contents of islam the contents of quran the hadith the life of the prophet these all should be brought into public domain and let us have a fair debate let, let the people decide that if it is something very good let us all of all of us embrace it and if it is a global scourge as we are looking at it today then let us bring those people back who can be in future mobilized or brainwashed into acting as future terrorists it's not a very tough ask any state can do it because they have those resources at their disposal uh, obviously the condition is that they have to come out of this hypocrisy which is right now prevalent that uh, everything is peaceful all the religions are same and islam is a religion of peace secondly the times we are living in i think this is the right time it is the right time to declare pakistan and afghanistan rogue countries or terrorist countries this this might sound a little harsh but i think right now what we are looking at is they are ex, uh, displaying their ideology in all its glory so i would request the states that these two country at least these two countries should be declared terrorist countries and then they should be dealt accordingly now that is as far as the state is concerned now what about individuals when uh, 9/11 happened i was telling you about my mindset i was just thinking about earning more amount of money investing more in shop, stock market getting a bigger and longer car for myself which are the standard aspirations of any middle class individual i was thinking of having a life insurance policy for myself so that i can have a secure future then i went a little back 12 years prior to 2011 what happened in kashmir the kashmiri hindu population must also have had the same sort of aspirations they also must have thought about investing something for their future in insurance schemes in bank deposits and all those things which we think about but all those investments came to naught because they were not looking at the major threat which were which was facing them in the face they they were uh, since i have been in, interacting with these people who have been uh, forced out of kashmir they say that we had a very little apprehension that such an exodus could be enforced upon us so we were going about our daily lives of course they used to hear incidents of a murder here or a rape there but they were not unduly concerned they went about their lives and this is what we now should be thinking of that we cannot keep on going with our in lives as if nothing is happening as if nothing is going to happen because if 30 years ago it was happening to kashmiris it can happen to anybody so as individuals we have our own duty to perform we have to learn the basic tenets of islam we have to teach them to our family members and try to disseminate this inf- this information as far and wide as possible and if individually it cannot be done 
let us make group of four five individuals 10 individuals let us have small organization organizations which can work on it uh, what i think is that since it a major component of this battle is at an ideological level so the reply should also be ideological now the second factor is communism we know that communism is a failed experiment the world over we know the number of lives it has taken we have examples of russia we have examples of mao we have examples of the entire maoist corridor which is right now present in our country and see what has happened today nazism is a bad word fascism is a bad word but communism is not why although the number of individuals which have been killed by communists is far more than what has been killed by nazis or what has been killed by fascists and but the success of communism communists is that they have hidden all those aspects from public discourse uh, an example that i would like to bring is try to imagine a group of 20 30 people holding a nazi flag in their hands and saying that we are going to create a nazi party that we're going to have a Nazi party and please vote for us. I'm sure people will just beat them black and blue and will they will have to run away from that place. But the same is not happening with communism because the dark aspect of communism has been hidden from public view. So let us bring the darker secrets of communism in public domain so that the sword of islam and the shield of communism both can be exposed and we can make world a safer place with this i would like to conclude thanks all of you for being patient and listening to me thank you thank you very much uh, uh your concerns and uh, your questions are very relevant very valid and not uh, our panelists uh, will ponder upon them uh, i'm sure our viewers uh, uh, will think uh, on those uh, questions and uh, um, now moving on to to the land where this uh, tragic incident happened 20 years ago i mean dr uh, robert spencer who is a great scholar and uh, who is alerting the world about uh, threat of jihad and uh, robert spencer is the director of jihad watch he's the author of 21 books including the new york times bestsellers the political incorrect guide to islam and the crusades spencer has led seminars on islam and jihad for the fbi the united states central command united states army command and general staff college the joint terrorism task force the justice department's anti-terrorism advisory council and the u.s intelligence community he has discussed jihad islam and terrorism at a workshop sponsored by the u.s state department and the german foreign ministry he's a senior fellow with the center for security policy uh, we all would like to know from uh, robert smith g that is there any political will is there any awareness in today's america to fight against jihad i appreciate uh, uh, robert spencer's uh, uh, 
comments in next 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, welcome, Robert Spencer. Thank you very much. Uh, I uh, am very honored by your invitation to be here and thank you all for attending. The question that you just asked me, is there any will to resist jihad in the United States today? Unfortunately, I hate to bring bad news, but uh, there isn't. Uh, most people have decided that this is a problem of the past. It no longer exists. Uh, Joe Biden, as a matter of fact, recently said that he wants to address not the problems of 2001, but the problems of 2021. And meanwhile, his Justice Department has said, without any evidence whatsoever, that white supremacists are the largest terror threat in the United States, not Islamic jihadis. Consequently, what Joe Biden clearly means is that he's going to be directing the counter-terror efforts of the U.S. government against American citizens that he's calling white supremacists, not against Islamic jihadis. But the problem, of course, did not start with Joe Biden. The problem actually started not even on September 11th, 2001. In a very important way, the problem began on September 17th, 2001, a day which everyone has forgotten. But on September 17th, 2001, the president of the United States at that time, George W. Bush, went into a mosque in Washington, D.C., and he declared that Islam was a religion of peace. Standing behind him were Nihad Awad of the Council on American-Islamic Relations, which has been found by the United States Justice Department to be the American arm of Hamas, which is a terrorist group in Gaza, and Abdurrahman Alamudi, who was the head of an organization called the American Muslim Council, uh, which no longer exists, and Alamudi is in prison now for financing Al-Qaeda. So in front of these two supporters of jihad, Bush declared this, that Islam was a religion of peace, and this has deformed the American response and the global response to the jihad terror threat ever since. Because he made it difficult for the American government to assess the motivating ideology behind the attacks. And so uh, Niraj was just speaking about having a fair debate and the necessity to speak honestly about the uh, belief system that led to the situation that the world is in today regarding jihad terrorism everywhere. And yet the problem is that the American government worked assiduously to ensure that there would not be a fair debate and there would not be any way to discuss these issues. You introduced me just a moment ago as having instructed the FBI, instructed military organizations in the United States about the nature of the jihad threat. And that is true, I did that. However, it must also be noted in the context of the discussion today that I did that in the face of pressure from people in the FBI, people in the CIA, and people in the military who thought that it was a terrible thing that Islam was being discussed in connection with terrorism. Because they were committed to the idea that Islam is a religion of peace and had nothing to do with terrorism. And that the terrorists, despite their own words, were motivated by 
considerations completely apart from Islam and Jihad. Now, this was fantasy and had no basis in reality, but nonetheless, it became the policy of the US government. And so in 2011, 10 years ago, I was dismissed from uh, instructing the FBI and the military and all materials containing any mention of Islam and Jihad were removed from counterterrorism training by the Obama administration. And the Obama administration renamed the counterterror approach countering violent extremism. Now, this is extremely insidious in ways that were not immediately apparent in 2011, but are now. Because what has happened in the interim is that extremism, this very vague word that can be used as a catch-all for pretty much anything, has been applied not to the jihad terrorists, but actually to me personally and to others who have spoken honestly about the motivating ideology of the terrorists. And so you have the United States government working with an organization here called the Southern Poverty Law Center, which has classified me and others who speak honestly about the jihad threat as extremists. So when the Obama administration and now the Biden administration says they're countering violent extremism, they mean me and others like me. And not uh, this is no joke and this is no exaggeration either because the violent part remains absurd in the light of the fact that I have never advocated for or approved of any violence of any kind and have always called for le legal lawful measures within the limits of the legal systems of the various nations to resist jihad violence. Nonetheless, the Global Internet Forum for Counterterrorism, which is an organization that is sponsored by Microsoft, YouTube, Twitter, and so on, the social media giants, has classified my organization, Jihad Watch, as violent extremist. Now, this has no basis in fact, no basis in reality, and I apologize for the reference, the, the personal references, but it's not just me they're going after, and ultimately this isn't personal. What has there is, is a concerted effort on the part of the left internationally to destroy any resistance to jihad violence, to stigmatize, demonize, marginalize, and silence those who speak the way we are speaking today. And so the real problem is the left. If it weren't for the left, and this is why I commend you for having a seminar about jihad and communism, because if it weren't for the communists and the stooges and useful idiots of the communists like George W. Bush and others, if it weren't for them, then we could deal adequately with this threat. And we could take up the example of Japan that was so ably delineated earlier, that Japan has no problem unapologetically speaking out in defending its own culture, its own society, its own history, its own mores. If you tried to do that in the United States, and I would venture to suggest if you tried to do that in India as well, then you get called racist and bigoted and Islamophobic and all these uh, words that are designed to make it so that people of goodwill will not listen to what you are saying. 
but we'll turn away and think this is some monster, this is some racist. Uh, we have to go elsewhere to find any workable solution to this problem. The uh, victory of this perspective in the United States 20 years after 9-11 is near total. For example, the Virginia Department of Education recently released a video instructing teachers about how to teach about 9-11. And it said, what you have to do is avoid Islamophobia above all. You have to avoid talking about Muslims as if they had anything to do with this because Muslims are being victimized in the United States by vigilantes who are uh, blaming them for 9-11. Now, this is not true. This doesn't happen. There are hate crimes in the United States. The FBI keeps track of hate crimes, and there are some hate crimes against Muslims, but it's a very small number. Even one is not justified. I'm not saying that any of this should, should happen, but it's a very small number, much smaller than the number of attacks on Jews. But you hear nothing about anti-Semitism in the United States. You hear only about Islamophobia. This is because this is part of a larger campaign to deflect attention away from the jihad terrorists and to make people ashamed and think they can't talk about these issues because they will be called racist or they'll be called Islamophobic. And so recently uh, a, a, a video producer went to the University of Florida and showed them some of the video from the Virginia Department of Education and asked them, what do you think? How should we speak about 9-11? And they said, we should above all avoid blaming anyone and focus on the faults of America. This is in America, this is in the University of Florida, but pride in one's own nation has been stigmatized and defending one's own nation has been stigmatized. And I would venture once again to say, this is not just in America, this is happening. And this is because of the left in its attempts to destroy the existing governments, to destroy the existing nation states and pursue its goal of socialist internationalism. Now, many people ask me, but why would socialist communist internationalists want to ally with Islamic jihadis when the communist internationalists are libertines and the Islamic jihadis have a very strict morality, a morality that's uh, twisted in many ways, as we know, but nonetheless, it's a morality that conflicts with that of the left in many ways. And the answer is, they both want to destroy the existing order. And on that basis, they are allies. They both want to bring down the societies that exist and establish an authoritarian super state that transcends national boundaries. Now, what is Sharia? What is Islamic law? What is the caliphate? But an authoritarian superstate that transcends national boundaries. And so the left and Islam have a very deep ideological bond based on their shared desire to create, to destroy nation states as they exist today and to create an internationalist authoritarian state that is uh, uh, fundamentally opposed to the freedoms that many of us take for granted around the world today. And so you look at their foremost enemies and you have Narendra Modi in India. Why is he so hated? Because he speaks up for an identity for the, the nation and he defends the nation 
in a way that is unacceptable to the internationalists. Donald Trump said, we're going to put America first and every leader of every nation should put his nation first. And this is why he was very friendly with the prime minister of India. But Donald Trump had to be destroyed as a result because putting America first is exactly what they don't want to do. They want to put all the nation states last and destroy them. Islam works wonderfully with that because it lends itself to authoritarianism. There has never been a free republic, never been a democracy in a majority Muslim country with the partial exception of Turkey. And it's only a partial exception because secularism in Turkey never had any influence outside of Istanbul and Ankara and was always imposed on the rest of the country by the force of the military. And so Recep Tayyip Erdogan, the president of Turkey, is wildly popular because he wants to destroy secularism. And he's working on bringing that about. And so the task before us is very great. We have to uh, resist the Islamic Jihad, but above all, we have to destroy the left that is enabling the Islamic Jihad. And uh, there is no easy answer to how we can do that, except to continue to support politicians who stand against the left and stand against its insidious and frankly evil agenda. And so uh, this is a very tremendous problem, but it, the, the war is not over. And 20 years later, the situation is very great, but the fact that we're having this conference in itself is an indication that people are awakening to the magnitude and the nature of what we're facing and coming together. And this is what we need to do. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Robert Spencer, for your candid views. And we always appreciate uh, uh, your insight into those uh, very complex uh, issues. And uh, you are probably one of those uh, scholars uh, in today's world. Uh, I, uh, I personally salute and personally appreciate. And sometimes I feel that probably uh, we the people are on actually actual uh, uh, classical meaning of leftism because we are struggling, we are struggling, we want to liberate the world. And the people who claim to be leftists and people who claim to be liberals are actually fascist. Uh, so sad state of affairs. And uh, we would love to have you uh, again in a couple of minutes in our interactive discussion within the panelists. Uh, we really appreciate for your participation. And uh, now from the United States of America, we are joined uh, with another gentleman who's fighting all kinds of extremism. I mean, Mr. Sukhi Chahalji, uh, who's a chairman of Punjab Foundation, USA founder uh, and CEO of editor in chief of uh, the Khalsa today, uh, a proud Sikh uh, and uh, computer engineer by profession. Sasikal Sukhi ji, uh, welcome. Uh, we would love to hear your views uh, uh, in this regard. Amji, namaskar, Sasikal, Assalamualaikum, Saviko. So this is a very, very fantastic discussion at least happening right now, because especially um, I was supposed to say a lot, but it seems like at least so everything is covered by uh, Nireji, uh, Smita ji and uh, Robert Spencer ji, very learned people actually. So this is something actually. So as uh, uh, Mr. Robert said actually, so we should be talking long time back. It means we are awakening, 
the pain which we are talking actually myself as you mentioned actually so i'm talking on the issue for almost more than 20 years the day this happened 9 11 happened but the thing is we have to go back what happened actually so when one of the air india plane was hijacked actually it landed in afghanistan actually so we knew that like how the terrorism work i came from punjab i came from punjab state of punjab one of the best state in india actually so one of the most prosperous state in india that had been destroyed by the terrorism and now i recently went to kashmir actually so i saw what, what terrorism can do to the people to the state and to the local culture and sometime in the west the people fail to understand at that time, they thought, okay, so no, it is the problem. The terrorism is the problem of a people who lives in India. It is the problem of India. It is nobody else's problem. The reality is until we realize at least so what is the root cause of the problem. Although we will be covering lots of base over here, what are the root cause problem? If we are not going to, we are not going to talk about the, the role of the Pakistan deep state, we are not going to make a progress anywhere. What happened inside the Afghanistan and what is the root cause of the whole terrorism, the whole world and all the dots are being connected with the Pakistan ISI directly or indirectly and also their journals and army. Nobody wants to talk about it because this is the business for, for, for these deep state actors. Until we go going to pinpoint, we are going to talk about it at least so we will not be able to make any progress. But the problem is, in the day, that so most of the scholars studying the region have failed to acknowledge the role of the other state in the conflict. And that particular, again, especially the Pakistan. So it is it's very, very important, at least. So we have to highlight, we have to tell the world, like, this is, this is not like one, who, who's, who's the main responsible party over here? And on top of that, they, are, they have been very, very sophisticated, actually, because unfortunately, many of the, us, at least, so we have seen uh, many other states too, they are, in, they are in the defensive mode. And everybody want to sugarcoat, nobody want to, no, no, this is not Islamophobia, we don't want to talk about Islam, this and that, at least. So no, if there is a conflict, if there is somebody teaching the violence, if somebody promoting the hate against others, you have to talk about it. It doesn't matter. This is the responsibility. It's, this is your responsibility. It is not the activity of the rascals, but inactivity of the good people which can destroy the society. And this is exactly happening in my America today. Because the people, nobody want to know the truth. Nobody want to say the truth. Nobody want to speak the truth. And also, many people, Tahir Sahib, like you, you face all these uh, issues every day. You face, like I face threats from everywhere. All these Islamophobia and all the leftists, this and that. But the people like you, people like uh, Mr. Robert Spencer, actually, so these are the people should be supported. We have to acknowledge, we have to understand what is the pain they have to go through to, to speak for the nation. You are not doing what you are, you are doing for yourself. And Mr. Robert Spencer, actually, so he, I, I, I admire his writing and his, his uh, task, actually. So it's very, very informative. This is what we have to teach our youth. 
the problem is because if we are going to be like you somebody go to stanford harvard this and that like, no no let's not let's not talk about like just go ahead and just be a doctor or engineer this and that we are on the slippery slope we have to learn the social science we have to teach our kids we have to teach our generation we have to teach them the value unless they are they don't have a guts to speak out these people will take the advantage of yours and like but anybody anybody who's try to speak the truth i don't know at least so so many so many forces at least so they get together including my own so called khalistani too and they are not left behind at least so they, they they will be part of this all all the all the scenario and i imagine at least so i am sick i am proud to be a sick what happened inside the pakistan and what happened inside the in, inside the punjab punjab has been destroyed where all this this like who were the main 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 authority or main state behind the conflict in punjab it was a pakistan and somehow only few of the people from the from the sikh community so called khalistani and they are still in the bed with the with the isi with the pakistan deep state so they are like a good thing like a interesting thing pakistan deep state has done so much investment on the information warfare and they are winning unfortunately this is the reality actually because other states too they have to wake up they have to do their homework and also until we we provide them the solution because what is the the role of the pakistan because they use terror as a tool as a statecraft what needs to be done because we have to we have to give our input actually so we have to tell the world especially many states many 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 law enforcement agency are watching this program what we want to tell we want to tell the whole world listen and understand where the pain is and who what is the root cause of the problem and i request the people those who are sitting in the washington dc too that please list the pakistan as a state sponsor of the terrorism and add them to the fatf blacklist that should be the number one priority and also impose not only the i'm not talking about the whole pakistan impose the targeted economic sanctions on the pakistan generals businessmen and the security contractor involved in supporting the taliban and the other proxy wars those who are promoting the terrorism over there and also we have to support the afghan diaspora and the democratic activist people like you in the west those who are speaking about against the pakistan the sponsor of terrorism we have to support each other we have to support those people those who dare to speak out the truth and also last but not the least adopt the french model over the american one to address the islamo left leftism that the alignment of uh, of interest and the goal between the most radical element of the far left and the islamic radicals until we have to until we speak out because although nobody do you think or i think actually nobody is listening no people are listening if we are speaking today and many people are speaking like listening alive it means we are making difference we are trying to wake up the people 
so like last uh, dr ikbal one time mentioned so dil se jo nikalti hai asar rakhti hai par nahi taakte parwaad magar rakhti hai because whatever you have inside bring it out let them oppose let them like let them be factual because the thing is by speaking out you are doing the service to your nation i am a proud american today if i am speaking out i am not speaking out for xyg i am speaking for american i am speaking for america and i am proud i am proud you can see the flag on my back you can see the flag in the middle israel i admire that country i admire that people as mr spencer said at least so what all the jews even going through today anti semitism inside america today these are the people if we don't support them tomorrow it's going to be hindu and the day after it's going to be sikh so it's better it's better to like learn the lesson speak out especially encourage the our youth to speak out educate them and also there is a lot of conflict even the historical books within india too that needs to be relooked at that history has to be rewritten there are so many things that is so many people the even some of the people those who were involved in the terrorist activity in india those who has done suppression in india they have been glorified you go to india today you will see all the aurangzeb road aurangzeb lane this and that all that nonsense has to be taken out you cannot tell your kids that like, how can you educate them at least so no dad father like this and that because no that person was good because i i, I read in the history books that's what we had been being taught in your in your schools so that's why when somebody like mr modi as uh, mr robert spencer said who try to take on this terrorism then the whole world no 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 this is this is the threat to islamophobia this and that all that nonsense has to be stopped we have to speak truth ek like it's not only one person every the long journey is start with the one step so steps have been taken everybody in this in in this one this group in this panel i admire your courage thank you very much really appreciate please keep keep doing the good work thank you thank you sukhi ji uh, you spoke from your heart and uh, you are rightly said that uh, unfortunately pakistan is that the center of terrorism it has not uh, uh, conducted terrorism in india only it has conducted terrorism in the united states all over the world and i must say today we are remembering nine Uh, 9/11's uh, terrorism uh, that was planned across Pakistan as well. We have to remember this reality uh, too. So um, uh, I love you. Uh, three flags behind you. Uh, God bless India. God bless Israel. God bless United States of America. And as I live in Canada, I am a proud Canadian. God love. God uh, uh, love. Canada as well, and uh, my next and the final guest um, speaker today is actually my guru, Rebuti Jhaji. As uh, a very respectable scholar, Rebuti Ji came to the U.S. in 1991 in leadership role with the American Express Bank. 
to build and develop Indo-US business relationships. Vibhuti Jhaji developed understanding of Indian culture, its richness and values. Vibhuti Jhaji has contributed a lot for Dharma. Currently, he is organizing Jaipur Dialogue from the United States of America. Welcome, Vibhuti Jhaji. Thank you very much. And you use the word guru. And I was thinking that, uh, you know, guru hi dusre ko pehchanta. Only a guru recognizes the other guru. So thank you for calling me Guru Guruji. <laughs> Bill, good to see you here. We had a fabulous conversation on political Islam on Jaipur Dialogue USA a few weeks ago. Uh, to all the panelists here, it's a wonderful. Smita ji, you gave such a wonderful uh, you know, lesson to the world around. Look at the Japanese example. You don't have to look for miracles. It's happening right out there. How they did it. Sukhi Chahal Sahab, wonderful. Satriya Khaji, Jai Ram Jiki, all of it together. Neera ji, good to see you finally. And you have promised to come on my show and I invite all of you. Because my thought process is something like that. I have been a hardened fighter on the streets. So like Tahir Sahab said that I came to the US in 1991. And my job was to market India's liberalization program here. So a foreign banker, American Express banker, with an office in Los Angeles and Beverly Hills, here I am talking about India. And you know, at the sea level scenarios, people have the ability and desire to ask questions, which is terrific about America. They want to know, they want to ask you questions. So the, I became a better Hindu because I had to learn so much about our culture, our diversity, the way we are. You know, for example, in American Express in New York, we had formed a diversity team and I was part of it. And I said, go to India. That's an example of diverse life. You don't need to take lessons in there. But coming back to this, one of the biggest advantage of speaking the last days, perhaps every point is already covered. <laughs> but, but the issue is very important that we have to highlight on them. We have to recognize because you change doesn't happen by just talking about it once. A change happens because you repeat the conversation, you internalize the conversation, and you address the conversation in the manner that it deserves. So all of you, thank you for making my life easier. But I would take it from here that one of the most important things happens is you've got to confront the truth. There is no escape from it. The moment you skip confronting truth, that's the time you begin to hurt yourself. And that's what I was addressing a think tank 10 to 12 years ago when Mr. Bush was the president. And people said that this is such a rotten president and things like that. I said, listen, presidents come and go. It is the system whether it will survive or not. So like Robert mentioned about the, 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 the beautiful similarity between the behavior and conduct of, of uh, George Bush as well as President Barack Obama. I was, the unfolding of the story here that happened just a few days ago, today Tal Taliban is being installed in Afghanistan. You know, I was thinking to ask President Obama, I was daring to ask, and I will in a tweet, that you wanted to change America fundamentally. Is this what you wanted your party to do? That is important part and that's I'm coming my second theme. We know a lot already. Today, thanks to technology, we are in different parts of the world and interacting with each other. 
This was not possible 10 or 12 years ago. Today it is. And our voices need to be heard, known, seen by the world around us. And thus, we have to indulge in a conversation. Robert Spencer, Suki Chahal, Dira Jatri, Bill Warner, Tahir Gora, Smita, and Vibhuti are not alone anymore. We have a voice and we have to confront that. The other part which I wanted to say was understanding the Islam part of it. It's a very interesting conversation. 9-11, I was here dressed in my suit and tie to meet a client who had just arrived from London in the World Trade Center at the Marriott Hotel. It was just a fortuitous circumstances that he called me at seven in the morning. I was going to take the train from Port Washington, Long Island, where I am. And I, he got a call. He said to me, can we meet at 11? I said, absolutely fine. I have dedicated this day for you. Rest is history. I don't need to tell you that. I don't say I'm going to, I was going to die. I was lucky to survive. Maybe I would have walked the Brooklyn Bridge. That's a different matter. But the issue is it was so close. When you are close to something, then you begin to look at it from a different perspective. And that's what began to happen. There are things that we know. I say this very simply. Knowing what we know now, knowing what we see now, with the great work of political Islam done by Bill and Robert Spencer, so and all of us put together in our own little mind, Kapil Meshraji organizing this, daring to be different to organize this particular event, dismantling global, Hindu, global Islam. This emanated from a thought that happened, dismantling global Hindutva. And I demanded in my tweet that let's ask all these 40 universities to co-sponsor and support a discussion on global, dismantling global Islamic terrorism. Why nobody's talking about it? And that takes me back to a few steps that are very important for us to bear. And that is, what can we do individually? Most of the time, we are tied down by our inabilities that the system is not supporting, which is very true. The system doesn't support. Today, Robert, Bill, people like us are victims. We are called extremists. We are the ones who are called extremists. Isn't it bizarre? You know, I was thinking about it. Here is a Hindu community that is loved community as an immigrant anywhere in the world. We are not a law and order problem. We contribute, and I am delighted to quote what the senator once told me, that we love you Indians as immigrants to this country. You are hardworking, you are educated, you are professionals, you don't disturb anybody. You are in the highest median income, you lead your good life, you have family values, you have take care of your children, you ask for nothing, you are not a law and order problem. What else can we ask for? So when such a community is branded, there is a, there is a concerted effort to brand us as evil, if we don't arise now, when will that be? When will it be then? So this is the moment for us to all arise. I invoke Swami Vivekanand's call, arise, awaken, and assert. This is the time for the righteous people to get up, arise, awaken, and assert. And I've added my fourth A to that, act. Because if you don't act, your knowledge, your information makes no difference. There's no point in my having a knowledge to fly a plane if I don't have to. So knowledge has to be relevant. It has to be imbibed. So the question that comes back here, 9-11, it's a, it's, a, it's a very important moment. The two questions that I want to tell you from the street level conversation. I have a good Pakistani friend, 
And this is a real thing. This is not a made up story. It's happened with me. And he said to me that not one single Islamic country has the ability, strength, or power to fight a non-Islamic country in a conventional warfare. Even our weapons are supplied by you guys. But what we do know is that we can fight the guerrilla warfare. How many John Doe's will you protect? We are going to take advantage of every single democratic principle that you are proud of. Your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion. We will take advantage of every single of those scenarios. And your Jews, your blacks, you Hindus, and whatever else will fight my cases for free. Think about how endemic was the mindset, how much prepared they were to deal with our scenarios. The left is a cohort, is an instrument. Yes, we can co freight the entire thing equally well because neither of them. Think about it from another perspective. The left and the Islamic ideology doesn't give us freedom or choice. It is their way and they're the only way. We are believers in freedom and choice. We are all here because we are exercising our choice. Nobody told us or dictated us to do what we are doing today. That's important. That we are a free world. We are truly free people. But they don't offer you freedom. But the question is, how do we deal with it at an individual level? That was one conversation. The second conversation was a Muslim investment banker friend of mine. He asked me, why is Islam misunderstood in this part of the world? I said, it's not. It is understood exactly the way you are conveying it. He said, what do you mean? I said, tell me. He's a very educated guy. I said, do you still believe in the concept of 72 virgins in the 21st century? He was silent for 10 seconds. I said, you got your answer that even an educated person like you couldn't emphatically, boldly deny that the whole concept is bogus. Who believes in that? Only the people who have been brainwashed. That's a very important part. While we, our societies, believes in saving lives, they believe in dying. That is the ultimate martyrdom. We believe in saving lives. I remember I, I had the privilege and honor to listen to uh, the speech of the pilot who is, who's, who, in whose, uh, he was the last pilot in Bosnia. The movie is Behind Enemy Lines. His aircraft was shot and he fell behind enemy lines. It was a very important moment when he was addressing the five, group of 500 people. He said, the one thing which was uppermost in my mind was that when I connect with the, my team through the speaker, through the wireless instrument, I know that my country will spare no effort to save my life. That's the US Army. That's America. That if people by hear me by voice that I'm alive, they will do everything to protect me and save me. That's exactly what happened. I had the privilege of shaking by his hand to use the English language from that point of view. Today, in Afghanistan, what has happened it's not the U.S. Army that lost. That use of word, U.S. lost, must be dropped. It's not the U.S. lost. It is the political leadership that buckled and surrendered. It's not the army that lost. So my friends, which I want, what I want to share with you is, 
couple of things that we can do at individual level. We must have this conversation. And I run a Jaipur Dialogue USA here, and I with Sanjay Dixit, we do it every Wednesday, a, a program, is to create the narrative, build the narrative, convey the narrative, and offer solutions. So I invite every one of you to come on my show. The message must move on forward. But few things are very important. Based on the conversation that I had yesterday, somebody said something remarkably interesting. And I want to share with all you audience here. He said, for them, death is their martyrdom. And 72 virgins is the glory. We need not kill them. We have to devise a way that they neither go to heaven, nor they get their 72. Let them know that their life on the earth, earth is hell. They didn't get martyrdom and they didn't get their 72. What about a strategy like that? Think about it, it's food for thought. And the other part is very important for all of us, is to begin inquiring and questioning the validities of their claims. I have asked Muslims mine, would you, if you, until you, once you want to preach me, I just have one request. Drop the word kafir from your language, the concept of non-believers, and that their throats have to be cut. You know, people like Tahir Gora. I mean, Tahir Goraji is a wonderful human being. He, not because he adapts Sanatan Dharma. No, I, am, I respect him for one reason, that he opened his mind to listen to another point of view. That's what we have to tell others. Open your mind to listen to somebody. Nobody is 100% right all the time. There are mistakes, there are inefficiencies, there are deficiencies in every philosophy. We have to begin the, to learn the ability to make that inquiry, to ask that question. Do you really believe in that? Is that really so? These are very simple questions. You know, I believe in Einstein's quotation that any intelligent man can complicate a simple problem. It takes courage to move in the other direction. So my friends, whether you are academicians or strategists or street fighters, we have to become authentically conscious about asking the question. Yes, it is truly tragic that somewhere along the line, the West is bending backwards. West is bending backwards to accommodate, appease, and pander to the Islamic thought or extremism of leftism. You know, we have to begin to ask those politicians this question. Why are you bending backwards? We have to, in, we have to ask this question. People who come to our countries to live a free life, that you have a choice. Don't bring your Sharia with me, with you. Don't demand halal here. What is the difference between halal and jatka? It's just a nomenclature. Right? We have to begin to ask. We are so many of us on the screen right now. Each one of us looks different. The, the stupid concept of equality and equity that is bandied about by the left and the left-leaning politicians doesn't recognize the truth. The truth is we are all different right here on this screen, sitting next to you or to the right or left. We are all different. If you do not accept and respect the differences of the people, then your equality and equity has no meaning. We are not all five feet, six inches or six feet. We don't all wear 10, number 10 shoe size, right? We are all men and women having the nose 
ears, mouth, and various other parts of the body performing identical function. And we all go down our knees to pray, whether Purna Shastang or Ardha Shastang. But we have to have the ability to rise to ask questions. That we must not allow anybody to take it away from us. That's an important thing to fight about. Both communism and Islam despise freedom. It's their way. There is no other way. We offer freedom and choice. Let's make that as a mul mantra or, or the guiding principles as the saying goes. The point which I'm also trying to say to you is that there are so many things the politicians are doing. We have to begin questioning them. Going back into knowledge, this is how it happened 1400 years ago or 1600 years ago, 2000 years ago. We now know enough. Knowing what we know now, what must we do is the action plan. That ought to be the action plan. The politics of hate that is going on, because if you are not like me, then you are a despised one, must go. We have to address all these issues that are confronting each one of us at every single point in time. The ability to ask questions, respect freedom, offer the choices. We have to do that. And Sukhiji is absolutely right. I have been to Punjab, you know, as from Delhi, where I used to live. Punjab was completely infested with drug trade. Punjab has been destroyed because it was the intended plan of Pakistan. So America, here is, I'm asking every American here, you are sleeping with the enemy in Pakistan. It took your money and, and played the games with you, send your soldiers body in body bags. Which part of it do you didn't know, didn't see? If you are so blind to our blindness, then even God can't help. We can't afford to be blind about our blindness. The truth has to be confronted. If they don't, we do. And we have to bring it to their attention. Ladies and gentlemen, I, this conversation can go on, as I was telling Tahir Saab, that he alone can give hour-long lecture on solutions and everything else. So thank you for moderating. Thank you, Kapil Mishraji, for hosting this entire thing. And I'm so privileged to meet all of you, Robert, Bill, Neeraji, Sukhi, all I've heard you on Clubhouse Sukhi. And uh, I, Robert, I know about you. I've read about what you do. I follow you on Twitter. And Bill, thank you very much for being on the show. Come again. I want to say only one thing. Knowing what we know now, let's not in spend time in intellectualizing the problem. Knowing what we know now is the soldier in the battlefield. The bullet has been fired. The fight is on. There is no time to think now. The only time to think is what is our next action plan. Go back to Vivekananji's statement. Arise has happened. Awakening is happening. Asserting has begun. Now we have to get into act. So ladies and gentlemen, all of us, let's focus on this aspect, the act, asking tough questions that how can a society and a country prosper when you subjugate 50% of the women population of that country? Think about it. We know, I mean, I made some notes. We made my life easy, all of you before. We all know, and we should ask this question of all our countries. The terrorist bases are Afghanistan, Afghan-Pakistan border, southern and western Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Somalia, Kenya, 
Nigeria, Mali, many European cities have become home to terrorists and succumbing to that. I'm saying, knowing what we know now, what must we do? And here is a suggestion I'll say. Let us publicly demand that those countries, like somebody mentioned that Pakistan should be declared a terrorist state or a rogue state, Pakistan and Afghanistan. I'm saying, declare them and eject them from United Nations. Prevent them from giving them uh, trade facilities because there has to be a consequence for your action. At the moment, the leftists and communists and, and, the, and the, what do you call, the liberal, the liberal and the Islamic terrorism, they're, they're not bearing any consequence. They're not suffering for any consequences because we remain open-hearted and we believe in the Aman Ki Asha and the ultimate faith in believing that, okay, someday they will change. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not happening. The text of Islam is not changing. We have to reject it. We have to fight it. We have to contest it. And, you know, it is very important that Saudi Arabia is going through a change. Sometimes change is forced upon you by circumstances beyond your control. Let's kind of encourage that. Pakistan is a country that is at the center of all Islamic terrorism. Unfortunately, Tahir Gora's old country uh, is, is the hub of all. Terrorism, training, sheltering. Guess what? We have to confront that. And so with these words, I will end my, uh, my, my message to you. And I, my message to you, all of you, is let's think of knowing what we know. What do we do next? Thank you very much. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you, Guruji. I really appreciate your uh, uh, candid views. And uh, before moving to our second panel discussion, we do have about five, 10 minutes. I would like to uh, request uh, uh, Robert Spencerji to come back on the screen. So uh, as Mr. Vibhuti Jha put a question, what is our next plan? What should be our next plan? Mr. Spencer, what are your views? What should be our next plan, please? Well, as I noted at the end of my remarks earlier, it's very important to pursue international alliances. Actually, after 9-11, I believe, well, if I had been president of the United States on 9-11, then I would have immediately begun to reconfigure America's international alliances. The idea that the United States considers Pakistan an ally to this day is ridiculous. And it's been ridiculous for years. It's been known for many years that Pakistan takes the money that is given to it by the United States and gives it to the terrorists it's supposed to be fighting. So this all needs to end. But on our own level, we, I, I, I thank you for inviting me to this conference because this is just an example of what I'm discussing, that all of us who are working against jihad violence, Sharia oppression, and the encroachments of the left on the freedoms of everyone around the world, we need to work together in India, in the United States, in Canada, everywhere. And so uh, this is the first thing that it has been insufficiently appreciated, I believe, how much we're all facing the same foe. And so I, uh, I'm very happy to see the Indian, Israeli, and American flags there uh, because it's, it's all the same Islamic jihadis who are trying to destroy all of our nations. And so we have a common cause and uh, should come together on that basis. 
Yes, uh, I totally agree. As uh, Spencer, you said, we do have a common cause and we have to act together. Uh, final thoughts from uh, other panelists before we move to next panel discussion, because I got uh, charge of first panel discussion uh, 10 minutes before my time, and I would like to give this charge for uh, 10 minutes before time uh, to, to the next moderator. So any final thoughts from uh, any other panelists, please? You make me smile by calling me Guruji. So <laughs> now, there are two things that I wanted to say in the terms of action plan is, you know, when, when 800,000 African Muslims migrated to Germany, Saudi Arabia had said, we will, give, we will build 800 mosques there. And it bothers me at times that when they come here, we are not demanding reciprocity from Islamic world. We have to begin to learn and accept that part. You build, a you build a mosque, fine, we have freedom of religion. No problem about that. But allow us to build a church, mosque, and a synagogue in your country as well. Because you can't say that I will, I will take advantage of your freedom of religion, but I will not extend you the freedom of religion. It doesn't work. The world is today a remarkably reciprocity is the name of the world. Name of the name of the life right now. It is reciprocity we have to demand. And the second one is that we know everybody here, I think, knows that the five Security Council members are the largest suppliers of weapons or sellers of weapons around the world. It often bothers me. How do you do the apart from the gift from America of $85 billion worth of weapons to Taliban in this scenario? these terrorists get their weapons from? Can we choke the supply? If we are talking about sanction, how come nobody sanctions selling of weapons? Which are the companies? On our watches, there is a registered number. Cars have low jack. There's nothing we can't track in these worlds. And I'm sure everybody knows the technology reach is so, so deep. You can hear words uttered across the wall and across the planets. How come we don't know who is supplying the weapons? Why can't we shame them? Why can't we stop that? Whether it's Raytheon, whether it's any company, I'm saying don't sell to those guys who are willing to kill your, your own people. But this is where it is important. There's a movie called Lethal Weapon 4 in which the Chinese guy who is printing the bogus notes, he is telling the American, America is a nation of laws. Laws are made by people and they can be managed. So ladies and gentlemen, that's the point which I'm trying to say is for us to assert something which Tahir Gora Sahab said, the fault of the West. And the other important element was something like Tahir Gora also said, sacred jihad. And I say, sacred jihad, let it join Dharma Yuddha. Let's join, let's join Dharma Yuddha. And mistakes of the West is fine, that's correct. But we have to reflect within ourselves. Who is it amongst, from amongst us who is selling those weapons to those guys who enjoy swinging on the swing of the aircraft windows because that's the only thing they know how to play with the aircraft. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yes, please, uh, Smita Mukherjee, we'd like to hear your views. And then finally, we'd like to hear... Neeraji and Sukhiji's views. 
So, Sumita ji, please. Thank you. Uh, just a short point, uh, um, elaborating on what uh, Mr. Spencer said. Um, I feel there is a need to get uh, rid of uh, delusion, the national delusion that each that exists in each of these liberal worlds. And a short example, let me give that I was working. I have worked almost 15 years with the German uh, Interpol, and in the course of that was immediately after the 26 uh, 11 uh, attack on Mumbai, we had visited the ATS uh, department, the anti-terrorism department, and there in the course of talks, I got to know that they run something called as a de-radicalization unit, which is very common in the Indian law enforcement. And this is exactly along the lines of what is happening in the United States. I mean, what they do there, they de-rad, so to say, they de-radicalize the terrorist uh, youths who are caught as if there is this kind of a de-radicalization possible. So this is this uh, national del um, delusion which India exists in and a whole lot of countries exist in is what we have to get rid of because any other um, uh, situation uh, is not possible to fight Islamism without getting rid of it. Uh, Suki Chahalji, what would be your conclusive remarks? No, sir. Uh, looks like uh, um, the whole panel is, is that they have done excellent job. Actually, this is a very good uh, message. Um, um, I'm glad actually to be part of this uh, the panel. Uh, what I want to say actually, so we have to again keep uh, reminding our new generation youth actually. So take a look actually. So who was involved in the 9/11? Where was Osama bin Laden was killed? In which country? how far he was from the Pakistan ISI headquarters, and who was sheltering them, who was training them. And it's not over yet. Let's not forget 9-11, if this is the way, if we will be sleeping with the enemy, if the U.S. is not going to, our elite, our, our politician, U.S. politicians are not going to learn the lesson, and we are just waiting and watching for the another 9-11 and root cause going to be the Pakistan. Number two, because Pakistan can never be loyal to anybody. They are not even loyal to their own people. The deep state of the Pakistan, the army, they are, if there is a suffering going within the Pakistan, the whole world needs to know. And they can, they can compromise, they don't have a dignity they can compromise, they can go low, what, like you cannot even imagine. And look, what is China doing with the Uyghur Muslim? They are the Muslim too. And they are talking about the Islamic Republic of Pakistan, this and that, all like that. But on the other side, they ignore. They cannot even raise the voice. Because when you are, when you, your, your main job every day is the begging ball, you just beg. When the American is throwing the dollar, it's my dollar. I'm the taxpayer in the US, it's my money. When we, when they used to get used to, today it is America. If America, no, no, tomorrow it's going to be the China. And they want to be in the center of the whole Islamic Republic and all these country. And they just know how to blackmail the other country. And they're gonna continue. And we have to, we have to tell the whole world. 
as India is doing, we have to we have to convey the message. And now the whole world knows what is the Islamic fundamentals terrorism is doing. But on the other side, you say at least as 40 university, they are talking about the Hindu Tava. And you ask anybody, Khalistani, this and that, they're going to show if there is any root cause of the problem in this world, it is the RSS. Or it is a Hindu Tava. And the whole world know where the terrorism, the centers are, where the training is going on. Nobody wants to talk about it. That hypocrisy has to be talked about. And the hypocrisy within the US university system, education system has to be discussed openly. Thank you very much. Thank you, Sukhiji. Final uh, comments from Shri Neeraj Atriji, please. Uh, we just have to unmask this ideology, which, which is being masquerading as religion of peace. For the general population, what we need to do is remove that mask, show what it actually stands for, and that, that should serve our purpose. And uh, while doing so, we just have to take care that we uh, keep two issues separate, Muslims and Islam. A Muslim can be good, can be bad, depending on the kind of ideology he or she has been fed since his childhood. But let us focus on Islam because that is the software which is responsible for the problems which the entire world is facing. And I don't think it should be very tough once we start get we start just unmasking the reality of this ideology. That should that should serve the purpose. That is what I would say.